So we're going to be uh, sharing from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So I'd like you to turn to that, and we have it on there. And I'm going to read it at the beginning. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, i.e. the man's stepmother. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he has done this deed might be, might be taken away among you from among you. But I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged, as though I were present, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leaven, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need not go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself the evil person. Man, there's a lot there. So, we're going to talk a little bit about the Corinthian church at that time, but I think the principle that we have to get is corrupt principles and examples, if not corrected, will hurt the entire church. Believers were, were called to have new hearts and lead new lives. Everything that we talk about, everything that we do, must lead us to holiness and to encourage one another on to good deeds. So what we're going to see here is an example, kind of a template of how, as a church, we're to deal and address problems that affect that with grievous and unrepentant sin in the body. Paul makes a distinction between those who sin and know what is wrong, but repent when confronted and are actively working at being holy versus those who live in unrepentant sin. So if you've got somebody who's actually... You know, not perfect. Do we sin every day? Absolutely. Do we think the wrong thoughts, say the wrong things, act the wrong way? Yes. But we realize when corrected that those are wrong. And as we spend time in our quiet time in the Word, we know what truth is. And our goal and our aspiration is to become more Christ-like. What Paul is saying for those of us who've chosen a path 
of ongoing, unrepentant sin. In this case, he says sexually immoral, but it could be anything of ongoing sin. Anything that causes us to continually choose the world over Jesus. To choose flesh, lust, pride, all the evils of the heart, of malice, wickedness. Just when we let our thinking and our actions choose himself, greed. And here he talks about those in more detail. He talks about idolatry. When we choose to idolize those things of the world more than Jesus. Who's not an idolater here? We all are. We're all confronted. That doesn't mean us who are confronted, who are idolaters, are to be thrown at. It means those who recognize that I don't care about what God wants. I want what I want. And when they act grievously against the Holy Spirit and against the body, we're called to deal with that as the body. So that's the challenge for us. So he says in verse 11, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, that's greedy, an idolater, a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Wow. So what's a reviler? Anybody? Right. Somebody who speaks evil against others, who reviles, who blasphemes God's name, who takes God's name in vain repeatedly. Okay? When you have somebody whose heart is choosing ongoing wickedness, okay, basically professing, you're not, you're not talking about somebody who's an unbeliever, professing that they're a believer but still acting like they don't care. They don't care about God's word. They don't care about holiness. They don't care about righteousness. But choosing ongoing sin, we're called to deal with that. Why does he say this? Why are we called to do that? Because this freedom, this license to sin, the word is licentiousness, okay, pollutes the entire church. When you have somebody who is in ongoing sin, grievous, habitual sin, it affects all of us. My sin affects you. Your sin affects me. We keep thinking the illusion, the delusion, is that our sin is private. It's just me. I'm not hurting anybody. As long as I do to myself, as long as I'm not actually damaging you, it's just in my own private space, in my own thoughts, in my own mind. That is not true. Paul makes clear in verses 6 to 8, Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. A little background. So, whenever you have a Passover, if you're at a Passover cedar, the Hebrew household has to clear out anything with yeast in it. What I mean by leaven, anything with yeast. So they have to clear, wipe everything out, and basically completely clear the whole house out to make sure there's not even one little bit of yeast around. No yeast bread. So they have unleavened bread for the Passover cedar. 
Okay? And that's the example that Paul gives us that he wants us to do. We have to clear that all out, that none of that paints the rest of it, because a little bit pollutes everything. Okay? It's just like one drop of dye in the whole glass. Starts a little one drop, then it affects the entire amount. Everything suddenly turns pink or red. So, this is something that's hard for us because, especially in our country, we're very individualistic. I get to do what I want to get to do. You get to do what you want to do. You get to make your own individual choices. I'm the boss of me. That's not true in the church. Who's the boss of us? Jesus is. The Word says what He's doing. We have made that decision for those in the body. So that's what Paul's speaking about. It's very clear he's not speaking about those outside the church. He says that very clear in the end. We're not to judge the outside by those same standards. But those who profess the name of Jesus Christ are called to a different standard. Okay? It's almost better not to be saying you're not a Christian. If you want to do that, just declare yourself not a believer. Because you really aren't. Go ahead and do what you want to do. And do it somewhere else. But if you're a believer, you're called to step in walk in holiness. Ongoing. Again, it doesn't mean you don't stumble. Okay, this is not meant to be condemnation, for there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But it is meant to encourage, but to impel you to say, hey, I have to take this seriously. Sin has to be taken seriously by the church. God takes sin seriously. Jesus died for it. Jesus died for it. He takes it very seriously. So, in the example... In, in here in Corinth, if you get a little bit about a little bit of background, so Corinth is this, and I've had the privilege of going there um, back in March of 2020, just when COVID was starting to hit, um, and it's this little port um, in this isthmus, this narrowing, and going from the Aegean Sea on the Greek side across Greece to the Adriatic towards the Italian side, this was a major thoroughfare, and to avoid the terrible weather south of that isthmus, they would actually portage, basically carry the boats across that, about a 10-mile thing, and, and travelers, numerous sailors and travelers would go. It became a major port, became a major merchant city, okay? There was a lot of business. When you have a lot of sailors at seaport, what do you see, unfortunately? There's tourism with that, but there's a lot of prostitution. There was a lot of wickedness there. Okay, ongoing wickedness. And, and you'll see in, when you read further about Corinthians about how um, Paul talks about that, those who've been redeemed by Christ's blood. Um, but the point is they were a church, or, or they were a church in a city that was wealthy, that was prosperous. Just like we're a church in a country that's wealthy and prosperous. The Corinthian church is very or the Corinthian city is very similar to our country nowadays. And when you look at the church as a whole, it's so easy to get comfortable. So along with our wealth comes dissipation. In physics, dissipation means to lose energy. Like the heat dissipates, it kind of loses. It's not in one space. It starts to spread out, dissipates. Lose but in us, it means lose focus. It could also mean a life that's wasted away. It's lost its direction. When we 
squander the resources that God has given us. We descend into depravity and indulgence. When this happens, everything becomes permissible. And Satan gets a foothold in our nation, in our homes, in our church. But that was not how it was intended in Christ. Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. And he further states that they're empowered in 1 Corinthians 4 to 9. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you're called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul starts that whole first letter to the church at Corinth, telling them they were called, telling them that they were empowered. They were empowered through the Word. They were empowered through the Holy Spirit. Okay? So they had all the gifts to do that. They were equipped by the Lord. That's where we have our Word. We are, just like the church at Corinth, equipped, fully equipped. Most of us have more than one Bible, many Bibles. We have, we have the Bible on our electronic devices. We are fully equipped. There's knowledge there at at a moment that we can access anything. You want to do a little search on the internet about any little issue that you have, you can Google it and find out through Bible Gateway or something else, and you can find out dozens of scriptures on any issue they have. Used to be you have to buy a little book that had all that. Now it's all at your fingertips. We are easily equipped to do it. But we don't. Or at least many don't. Many of those who profess the name don't. Why? Because we're deceived. Because you don't trust in the Word. Because we don't rely upon that. Same as the first church. And because we're not doing, willing to do what it takes. So that church in Corinth was unfocused. They had divisions. And Paul talks about sectarianism, which means they were all divided. Some, when you talked earlier, I listened to Apollos. Some listened to Paul. Okay, some to Peter. Okay, they didn't focus on one thing. They were distracted by personality, distracted by secondary issues. That's not something that we can permit. We have to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's so, so, so important. And we see church divisions, and I was a part of that, where we separated because of that. So Paul says, what's the main thing? Christ crucified. He says, I'm not as eloquent as others. Why is that important? Right now, so many flock to somebody who can tickle their ears. They want to hear a speaker who communicates really well, who's really fluid in how they speak. 
um, you can see what's the evolution of the modern American church. You know, 25 years ago, the megachurches were huge and big, and people flocked to them, 5, 10, 20,000 in one congregation because the speaker's eloquent and spoke so well to them. Um, it's now changed to the multi-site campus, and we even have one here where a large church in northern Kentucky is just set up in Grand County and had 800 flock to them, okay? Doing well by the ways of the world. Maybe they're doing well because they preach in easy believism. Maybe they're doing well because they preach in easy grace. Maybe they're doing well because they're not willing to call sin, sin. They're not willing to declare what's so. Is God love? Yes. But that message is incomplete. Okay? It's incomplete because while God is love, He's also the judge. Every one of us is born enemies of God. Every one of us is born an enemy of God. And we have no hope, no hope in our own strength. Only by repentance and accepting the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ do we have freedom. Freedom to come into his presence. God loves the whole world. John 3.16. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten or one and only son. Yes, that's true. God didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save it through Jesus Christ. But it's only through Jesus Christ is there no condemnation. Apart from Jesus Christ is only wrath. That's the mercy of God. So we got to get rid of this idea that he's this absent-minded, doting grandfather who kind of overlooks it and goes, ah, no big deal. Come on in, love you. Okay, it's not like that. Yes, God loves us, but he is grieved by sin. Okay, right at the beginning in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 6, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Psalm 78, if you want to know about how God is grieved by sin, look at Psalm 78. I'll read just verse 40. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. God is grieved by our sin. But that's an example that God's given. That's how we need to be. It's, yes, we need to hate, but more, we need to be grieved by the sin of others. So, the problem with the Corinthian church, they responded in pride and arrogance. They thought they were doing well, and they didn't need to address any issues. Okay, so not only should the individual not be puffed up with pride and presumption, but neither should the church. We shouldn't be going, oh, we're doing really well, everything's good, and we're good. We can't still be so proud that we're doing the right thing. We're proud in our doctrine, proud in our building, proud in our outreach. There's nothing to be proud. We're grateful that God has chosen to work through us. Grateful, because he doesn't need us to accomplish his wills. So, Paul tells them, he tells them to cast this guy out. Okay? That sounds kind of harsh. But you have to realize, by Paul's early teaching, this is after they've tried to reason with him by the biblical standard, as exemplified in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with him one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Wow, that's a lot. So Paul, this is Jesus speaking, but Paul knows that. This was what was already there within the church, within the body of the church. They already knew that. This is the standard. We need to go and you need to reach one-on-one, take two or three together, and if not, bring it before the church. This was clearly before the church already. He still was unrepentant, and that's why they said to cast out. But there's another point here to mention here, and the point is the authority that God has given the church. In Matthew 16, 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. You have to realize the context. That doesn't mean we have power over everything outside, over everything. Okay? We're not angels in the sense that of God's angels who are there with him, who have the power to wipe out 268,000 in one night or anything like that. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about, with the authority of Scripture that God has given us, when we are abiding by the Word of God, when two or three are together in the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power and the authority to communicate God's truth to everybody. And that truth means we can act to exercise church discipline. We can act in that way to call people to account. We can say this is the standard of the Word of God that we can communicate. The power is the Word of God. The keys that he's talking about is the Word of Jesus. That's what the keys that he's given us. He's given us the power of the Word to give us the authority of the word to communicate that to the body and to others. Not talking about our power. His power working through us through the word of God. So we have that authority to use the word of God to say, by what authority do you speak? By this authority. By the authority of the word of God. That I can say what it says here to speak that into your life and hold each other to an account. And so it says also when two or three are gathered. So the idea is not to have personal bias. It's clear when two or three are gathered that you have that consensus. Yeah, that's what the Word says. Trusting what the Word says to encourage and also admonish. So what's the intent? The intent is always in restoration. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 6 to 11. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him, for to, to, for to this end I also wrote, that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. 
Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So just as God was with the Israelites, grieved, we're called to be grieved when somebody sins grossly, or not to go, hey, you're wrong, get out of here. That's not the attitude that God wants us to have. Our attitude is to plead, please, listen to the words of Christ. Choose life. This path you're choosing will lead to death. We encourage you, we plead with you, we implore you. Okay? But behind that is always love. There's an intent of restoration. All through the Old Testament, you can see that God is grieved, but you can see the same heart that he wanted the Israelites to turn back to him. Our desire is for that person to do so. And you see here in Second Corinthians, Paul's addressing that. I, we think there are many of the um, uh, Bible scholars believe that it's referring to this particular case in First Corinthians as well. That this man has repented, has chosen, has said, I did wrong. Will you forgive me? This was a grievous sin against God. And the answer is yes, we forgive you. Of course we forgive you. We have been forgiven much. How could we not forgive you? Okay, and you see that exercise. And we got to see that with a brother recently, that, that continual say that we are grieved by it. So every time you've seen and you may have heard things within our body, we've had to use that church discipline. It's by this template that we're going by. And in every single case, and I've been a party to a number of them, um, especially when Pastor was leading it, you're grieved. We are heartbroken. Heartbroken by this. Because our intent is always to bring somebody back into relationship with Christ first and foremost. Because any sin breaks that bond of that relationship with Christ first and foremost. Always with Christ. Always with Christ. I can't say that enough. And then with us. It's far more important to have a relationship with Christ. And if it means they have to go another body to do so, then so be it. It's our loss, but it may be to their gain, but especially if it's to Christ's glory. Far more important, more important that they have that relationship. So that's the intent, and always when we're looking with that. So the whole, and everything he's talking about, again and again, is a process of redemption. We're trying to do that because the intent is we care more about the spirit than we care about the flesh. So, getting back to 1 Corinthians 5, we talked about Satan. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So it says that very clearly. The reason you're going to set that man away from you is not because you hate him, but because you love him. You love him so much, you're willing to say, no, we won't do this. No, we won't feed your addiction into drugs. No, we won't do that with sin, with sexual immorality. No, we won't do that when you're making choices that show that you're choosing the world. We've told you and over again, and your, your, your conduct shows that you don't believe in Jesus. You're beating your wife and your children. This is not acceptable behavior. This is not somebody who's repentant and broken for God. This is not a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. We admonish you. We encourage you. We're here to help you. If you choose not, we have to let you go. Now, in some cases, 
because of what's going on, there's standards with society, we may have to report you to the governing authorities. Okay? We're called to by laws, but also by responsibility to the Lord. If what you're doing is harmful to others, we're still agents um, of good, of to do what's right. Okay? Getting back again. So, the destruction of the flesh. As I said, the true church will always place the needs of the spirit over the flesh. The eternal takes precedent over the temporary. Why? Because the temporary will pass. It's but vapor, but mist. Okay? It's a moment in light of eternity. Do we want people to suffer in this world? No, we don't. We don't want people to suffer. We're called to ease suffering. If there's somebody who needs clothes, we're to clothe them. If somebody needs food, we're to feed them. If somebody asks us to carry a burden, we carry the burden. Not one mile, but two. Okay? But we do all those things with the intent of redeeming the Spirit. Everything is done with a focus on glorifying God and bringing them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That should always be our priority, the Spirit over the flesh. So, when we release them to Satan, our intent is to say, okay, you choose that, you're going to have to reap what you sow. Hopefully, they're so broken and sorrowful they see their need for God. Just as a prodigal son saw when he squandered all that he was given and he's in eating slop with the pigs or wanting to eat the slop with the pigs or thinking that's good for him and then suddenly realizes there's another way. There's a father who loves him and he says, I'll come back anyway. You can see how broken and contrite. He says, I'll just be a servant. You treat your servants better than I am here. I don't have to be your son. I'll come back anyway. That's the hope is that that person will be humbled and will say, I want to choose life. I don't care where I am. I can be a doorkeeper in the house of God. I don't need to be a position of power or authority. I'll take whatever you give me. So when there's a real humbling, when there's a real sense of despair in themselves, when there's real contrition, okay, that's what we hope for. But also, they have something in that. They have a hope. And so we need to leave them with hope. The hope is that there's a way back. The hope is communicating that there's always a way back through Jesus Christ. That with real repentance, with an earnest heart that's seeking, with sincerity, not fake or put over, they will be welcomed. They will be forgiven. Forgiven first for a God who forgives Way more than we deserve. Way more than we deserve. Daily forgives us. Abundantly forgives us. When we choose to go, Abba, Father, I need your help. I'm sorry. That's our hope for them. Okay? Then we also will forgive. Just as Paul said in 2 Corinthians. And... If, you, if somebody clearly has forgiven, I don't have to be the one to hear each individual case. So it's not a situation where I'm going to have to find out from him if he's really repentant. Okay? If those in authority say, I've spent and they've shared the testimony, then our heart is forgiving, that we will forgive. Okay? We will, as Pastor Jeff loves to say, see the best in them. The best in them is only the best in them is really who? Christ. That's the best in them. 
and you'll be evident. So our heart is easy to forgive with those who are honest in that. So the last thing that he finishes with in, the, in that chapter is who we're to judge, but more importantly, who we're not to judge. Again, to emphasize, we're not called to judge those outside the church. We cannot expect, that's the problem with so many of those who profess Christ, is they go, look at the wrong and the evil and the wickedness of the world. Why are we surprised? The world's getting darker. Why are we surprised? God decrees that it will get darker. In Thessalonians, he says, he is going to send the spirit of delusion. It will get darker. It happened the days of Noah's going to happen again. So it should be no surprise to us. You go, oh, it's terrible. What's happening with the election? People getting wound up because I don't want it to get darker. Well, no, we don't want it to get darker, but it's going to happen regardless. Our focus isn't on that. Our focus is on saving those, reaching out to save those that God's called us to reach out to. And we don't do the saving that Christ does. We just go out. We're to go out on the waters and see the souls there that are drowning and throw them the life preserver of Jesus Christ again and again. Keep casting it out there until they grab on. Keep casting it out there until they grab on. Okay, but those who don't know, so we're not to condemn. So that means that, that means you don't party with them, but you expect them. You don't expect them to clean up to do that. So will we have somebody who's a smoker who comes in here who's not a believer? Yeah. We may say they're not smoking here, but that doesn't mean they can't go outside and we won't go outside to talk with them. Will there be, is it okay to talk to people who are drunkards? Yeah. Would Jesus go in a bar? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. He went to, he went to sinners and tax collectors. Now, he's not going to the bar to get a drink for himself. Okay? He's not going to do anything for himself. He's not going to indulge in anything of sin. But his intent is to talk about Jesus. Now, someone who's come who's been a drunkard, should they go into a bar? Probably not. Probably not. That would not be wise because the temptation may be too great. It talks about that flea temptation. Okay? So there's prudence in how we do things. But the intent is is we don't say they have to come to us. That's not what the Scripture says. They have to come to our church or do it. It means we have to go out to them. We have to reach out to them. And it's harder. They're sometimes more jaded, but we're to reach out, reach out not only to Judea, Samaria, but also to the ends of the earth. And I can tell you, having been overseas, the harvest is plentiful there. The harvest is plentiful. There are people who want to know. They are much more innocent. It's a joy to minister there. So, um, that's kind of all that I'm going to close. I don't know how to end that any more than that. But the principle I'm just going to summarize again is everything that 1 Corinthians 5 is talking about talks about how the church is supposed to address grievous sin, ongoing grievous sin. Okay, it's an example of the church saying we're not going to allow ourselves to allow that to happen for the benefit of the body and also for the benefit of the, of the individual. Sometimes it means tough decisions that are painful. Okay, it's hard to let people that you like go. Okay, it's hard. It's painful, but that's okay. Okay, because when they do come back, like it has the joys, tenfold greater. 
Just as one sheep that's lost comes back to the fold, you rejoice more than the nine-nine that you have. Like the woman who lost that one um, denarius. No, it wasn't a denarius. Was it a denarius? can't remember. Um, drachma came back and rejoiced over the one that she found. Okay, let's, uh, let's close in, in prayer. And uh, First, before I do that, were there any questions? Did anybody have any comments? Yes, go ahead, Eric. Very good question. Did everybody hear that? So he said, how do you point out sin without being judging? So the standard is, it's not my judgment. That's why knowing the Word of God is so important. All we bring, the authority that we have is the Word of God. We bring the Word of God says, you know, I love what Ray Comfort does when he talks about the Ten Commandments. He asks people again, have you ever lied? So what do you, you're a liar. Have you ever stolen something? Yes, you're a thief. Okay. Have you ever um, taken God's name in vain? Yes, you're a blasphemer, violer. Have you thought lustful thoughts? You're an adulterer. So he calls people to the Ten Commandments. So the idea is you just use the Word of God as an example. Okay. And you and and you're honest and humble about it. Because have I lied? Yes. Have I stolen? Yes. Okay. Have I lusted? Yes. I went to pure life. Of course I lusted. Those of us have been. Yeah. Duh. Okay. Yes. Okay. Have I vowed God's name? Yes. I have. I have spoken his name in vain in the past when I was an unbeliever. Yes. Okay. So I am under condemnation from that. All are. And then you point for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. Not one. We may have to go the Roman road of Romans 3.23 and then 6.23 and you can tell the works, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is your, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Okay? So you can just bring the words of God, if you know the word, just to share the message over and over. So the idea is, you see, do you think what you're doing is right? You have to realize, you don't save them. I don't save anybody. It's the Holy Spirit who does it. So, God is tweaking their spirit. They, there's their conscience. It says that in Romans. Our conscience condemns us. So you say, it's, is what you're going through, do you think it's okay? No, it's wrong. Why do you think it's wrong? Well, they may not know. May I show you how I know that it's wrong? It's wrong because here in the Word it says this, 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 and this. Do you want to be free of that burden of sin? That weight that you're carrying? that weighs you down. And if you've seen Pilgrim's Progress, the movie, the, the new animated version, which we just recently saw at our house recently, thanks to David. Thanks to David. And uh, he just carried this weight, and he saw this weight. And I realized when I was weighed down, because when I accepted Jesus, I just, when Jesus, I accepted Jesus, when I surrendered to Jesus, um, I just felt light. I just felt like some... T- this thing off my arm, just felt light. Almost like it could just levitate, fly away kind of thing. Just like so light. So there's a burden that that person is. Does that help you? Any other question?
So the idea is when you use when you use his name in an irreverential manner. So if you're not revering him, not giving him reverence, and you're using if you spew people even say, you know, Jesus we say Jesus Christ, but if you say as a customer, Jesus Christ, because you're upset, that is reviling the name of God because you're using it as a curse word. Okay? I love again what Ray Comfort used himself. Would you use your mother's name in vain? No, you wouldn't. Okay? You just wouldn't because you respect her too much to, to do that. Is Do you respect God enough to say, I'm not going to use his name like it's nothing, like it's dirt, like it's... the other. What's the other word that people use? They refer to fecal matter, right? You know, that's what they say. So it's using God's name interchangeably with that. That's what you're treating it with. So that sense, that's reviling. Any other questions? Yes, Chris. True. But I think the intent, you're right, in that, for that, if they use the, the, that expression, that's true. But even when they say Jesus Christ is a, a term, that's still reviling his name. Okay? It's a reverential name. It should be like, wow, Jesus Christ, like, Jesus the Messiah, something to revere, not like a curse word. Like, not something so inconsequential. It's extremely consequential. It's very important. Anybody else? Okay, let's close with a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray, um, Lord, that um, you keep us as a church that's following your word, trusting in all things, willing to make the difficult decisions if you call us to, but always with your heart, showing love and compassion for others, calling others to you, Father. And I pray that we truly become a body that's seeking you, that's earnest towards you, that wants to grow in your ways, trusting in all things, Lord have your way. I pray a blessing on each man that's here, Father, that they may seek you earnestly and diligently, that they stay on the narrow path, turning neither to the right or left, that if there's sin within that that needs to be confessed, that they do so with someone, Lord, and they choose the spirit over the flesh. Get every bit of the glory you deserve, Jesus. You certainly deserve it all. In your name. Amen.